Teachers are so important. Like, they actually are. Care about it and, like, actually try. I believe it is a beautiful piece of art. Welcome along to See Me After Class for 2020. This is a podcast that emanates from a beautiful school in the southern Alps of New Zealand. Now, let's meet the team. And here is Cathy, a parent who aspires to make connections in a community to build a successful future. This is Chris, who aspires to be an agitator who tests the boundaries just to see how the system reacts. And this is Anna, a silent observer who's a go-between between the students and the teachers in a classroom. This is Renee, who aspires to forge a progressive and creative path. And together, we are See Me After Class. Welcome along to See Me After Class. This is a pretty special occasion. It's episode 52 and week one of term four, and we have the whole team in the room. Hey, team. Hey. Hi. (laughs) Because we've been talking about identity quite a lot in the podcast over the last few months, Somewhat by accident, we decided that it was a good idea for us to explore our own identities in relation to the school. So we're going to go around the room um, and I've asked each of the podcast's uh, team to identify something about themselves that they think is important in relation to their identity. So we're going to introduce ourselves by our pronouns and we're going to name something that's important to us. So I'm Chris, my pronouns are he and him, and An aspect of my identity that's important to me is my sexuality. I'm gay. I'm Anna. Um, I refer to myself as she or her. Um, And the thing that I feel that I bring to this, which is a wee bit different, is that I'm Scottish, not Irish. I'm Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) Important distinction there, isn't it? (laughs) Hello, I'm Renee. I use the pronouns she and her. I guess one of the big things that I identify with is being a rather textbook young professional. Kia ora, I'm Cathy, I am a she. I have such a hard time picking an aspect of identity to go with, and I guess that's the one, is the multi-dimensional nature of my identities. Not multiple personalities, (laughs) which is an actual disorder, uh, but rather the various hats I wear. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about how our identities might be relevant or not in relation to our way of relating to the school. But before we did that, Anna had an interesting anecdote about her interaction with her kids in relation to Ollie, who was in our podcast last week. So we thought we'd just relay that experience before we go on. I'm really lucky because I get to cycle to school every single day and my six-year-old and my eight-year-old cycle with me and when there's conversations with the six-year-old there's never a conversation with the eight-year-old because it's fast he wants to get there quickly <laughs> but we pass Ollie a lot of the time regularly and my little boy was saying why does that person wear a dress why does that person wear those shoes why does that person there's always a question and I would always put it back to my son and say well why do you think Um, why do you wear the clothes that you wear and the conversation doesn't just stop when I drop him off at school he'll often start speaking to me later on in the day about that person that we saw 
And that's how my son refers to Ollie. How does that person? I think that's great that you don't identify that person as a male or a female. You just identify that person as a person. And I always, I love what Ollie wears. I always say, good morning, you beautiful human being. I love <laughs> your, and usually they're wearing beautiful shoes or a fabulous coat. And always smiles, always interacts with my boys as well. Um, and it's an ongoing conversation. I like that. I like that. That my boys are so young, but this is something that's we're being exposed to every single day, and it is just a normal part of our conversation. And at the same time, I find it interesting that, um, and not surprising, but interesting to pay attention to the fact that there's a, the discord of Ollie presenting their gender fluidity is so. Um, problematic for your sons I don't mean that they judge it I just mean it it causes them to ask a lot of questions it sort of demonstrates the degree to which we're socialized into binary genders isn't well, it well is that the case or I looked at more that he is six so he has no general idea about he has a clear idea about he is a, a boy mm. that's what he identifies at the moment as and he knows that I am a girl um, but this grey area in the middle, this, no, I shouldn't call it grey, it's much more colourful than that, isn't it? This colourful area, area in the middle, that this is something that he's discussing with me um, as a question. It's never, um, he also talks about everybody else that we pass as well. Right. It's not that, um, probably because Ollie wears not school uniform. So that's the conversation starter. So everybody else is pretty boring in comparison to Ollie because they're just wearing school uniform. I like that guy's bike. That's what the conversation would be about the three or four other people. But it'll be more about um, clothing probably for Ollie. Right. And I think it, um, the way that I've described it to, to my son and I am going from nobody else's uh, hymn book come up my own, um, because I've never experienced this before. This is the first time I've been a parent. This is the first time I've had discussions like this. I really like it. But I say people choose what they want to identify with. Some people would choose to be a boy. Some people would choose to be a girl. And some people would choose to follow their own path. And I believe with Ollie, they're choosing to follow their own path. They don't want to be seen as a boy or as a girl. Would I be... A, I feel like I need permission probably to, to do that, that that's the conversation we're having in our household. Would anybody else do the same thing? <laughs> I think something that Ollie brought up in a conversation last week was they think it's really important that we have these conversations, that yes. inviting the conversation, and instead of creating injunctions that people have to be qualified or have permission before they can have the conversation they're saying have the conversation yeah. at whatever level you want to have Completely. it as opposed to thinking oh i might say the wrong thing because i think we all do have that Completely. inherent sense of anxiety that when we enter into territory where we're unfamiliar yeah. don't have experience and we want to make sure that we are dignified and respectful that we might say the wrong thing yeah. and often we will say the wrong thing yeah but as as a, as opposed, but but what that leads to is often a silence. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Yep, and it's like I say, it's an ongoing conversation. It's a regular thing, and I'm really glad that we are having the conversation. I think Ollie, by the way, would totally sanction the way that you're having that conversation at home. I'm just glad. just out of 
That's good. <laughs> yes. But we can always ask them. I know. Yeah. So, um, does anyone want to start the conversation from their own point of view about anything that might come up in relation to their identity where they've had to sort of negotiate their identity in relation to the school? I guess I can start. Um, so, as I said before, I'm feeling at the moment like I am the young, married, professional at school and I follow a bit of a textbook path. I've come from high school straight into university, straight into my first job and I am still in my first job five years later. And it's interesting because I've been thinking about, just as we've been talking especially, um, what that means I begin to engage with at school and how that kind of has forged like the, I guess additional areas outside of the classroom that I've engaged with and I think back and I go, I, I yeah, I, I definitely the way that I navigated myself through high school um, is very similar to the way that I've navigated myself through teaching as well mm. and the way that I engage with extracurricular things so mm. the netball and the service committee um, and all of those sort of additional outside things um, but it's interesting to think about because we're, we're, we're having this conversation around sort of like um, I guess outside of, not outside of the box, but out of the norm mm. identities or things that don't, that don't operate in the smooth line that society lays out for us. And mm. it's a slightly confronting question for somebody like me who has never operated that way and has never really engaged with the thought of operating in that way. Um, so I'm really fascinated to hear what some of you guys feed into the conversation and how that sort of sparks my train of thinking too. As I listen to you all, I'm reminded of how incredibly rich this topic really is, mm -hmm. and I'm already going to suggest that we might need a part one and a part two, because <laughs> there is so much to explore. We're talking about how this features at school, but I think it brings up lots and lots of things, probably for each of us, about our lives outside of school or our lives way before school, etc. And in particular, I guess, Renee, just kind of bouncing off what you were saying about being a relatively straightforward path, it is amazing how much identity can be a linear thing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it doesn't have ups and downs if you were to graph it, but I guess for me, I, I look, I'm at a point perhaps in my life where I look back and can think about ages and stages. Yeah. And I've gone through so many in the last 18 years, for example, of being in New Zealand, of becoming, shedding an identity, a corporate identity and a professional one in a particular career and then coming here as an uh, expectant parent and then it being all about kids for a while and then what, how do I regain a semblance of professional career, that, mm. but what does that look like in this place? So mm. there's a lot, all those layers come to mind, you know, when I think about that. Also thinking about, we don't know what we don't know because mm. of our, whatever our own path is as we go through life. So the fact that your sexuality is such a big part of your identity and how, what you're thinking about and how you see that maybe you know butting up against the norm and how much that features in your life makes me think about as for example a heterosexual female how I don't it's not something I'm confronted with every day people don't point out to me every single day oh there's mm. a heterosexual woman walking down <laughs> yeah. the street how yeah. strange is that mm. so all those assumptions that we take with us and that is obviously a feature of big society but it's also a feature of how we how and where and when we grew up the whole concept of minority versus majority worldview here in New Zealand is something I was really 
confronted with in the last year or two, having a better understanding of Tao Māori, for example, in a region of the country where that's not very prominent or, again, not a, a visible feature of mm -hmm. everyday conversation and life because of our demographics. But if you reach beyond this region into other parts of the country, it, it's massive, you know, and to have that understanding is a huge enriching feature of mm -hmm. life. Um, the assumptions that we make about opportunities because of whatever path we're on. Um, I had a really big aha moment with a colleague about a year ago where I was in a, a session all about race, actually. That was exactly the topic. And we were working with the Center for Courageous Conversations out of Auckland. And we were talking about hopes and dreams for ourselves as young people. And I kind of piped up with, well, I was brought up being told I could do whatever I want, mm -hmm. you know, as a woman, for example, mm -hmm. or whatever I want. Someone else in the room stood up and he's a, a Pacifica um, immigrant who's here and said, well, I grew up with being told I was always going to be a failure. Mm -hmm. So here you had two diametrically opposed viewpoints shaped by what our parents told us and the experience around ourselves. What do we do with that? So how can you not see color or race in a conversation like that? I was probably taught not to see it because everyone's the same. Well, I guess what we're talking about here is identity um, makes us different. And there's a lot of value in that difference. So how do we work with that? And then I suppose I would love for us to be, I mean, that's some of the work that you've been doing recently is to bring that conversation and the, the young um, you know, guys at school who are really bringing that into the conversation at school. And it would be great to see more of that. So that's just my kind of entree rambling mm. without digging too deep. I want, I want you know, there's more, <laughs> more to go. It's interesting what you're talking about, Kathy. Obviously, you and I um, are affiliated with the fact that we are, we both have different accents. We're both from different countries. But the one thing I feel that really benefits me from being from overseas, I've also lived in Australia for 11 years, so I've seen uh, a very different culture there. And then coming to New Zealand, we've only been here for 18 months and seeing a very different culture here as well. Really different, really diverse. The one thing I think the benefit that I have coming into school, being somebody who is different being somebody who gets to sit at the back of the classroom and often listen to what's going on as opposed to having to be too involved in the delivery that hearing the people who are new to Wanaka I can identify with so much and hearing the people who have a wee bit of a different accent and um, I love to tune into are, are they from Australia are they from whereabout are they from and being able to speak to them about so how long have you been here for how are you finding it and often that breaks down so many barriers so that there is a possible feeling from that individual's point of view that there's that Anna lady again, she's a foreigner as well. She knows how frightening it feels because it really is. I'm a grown-up, I'm an adult coming into a class and for some of these kids I think we forget how terrifying coming into school and coming into an environment as beautiful as the location that we are in coming into an environment like Kamat can be massively intimidating for somebody who's 11 years old and has only just arrived off a plane, even from Auckland, even from the States, even from Australia. But it's amazing the connections I've made with some of the kids who have just arrived from Australia, for example, and we can have that shared conversation about how freshening fires were back in Australia, yeah. how great the beach is, how isn't it funny how the Kiwis speak here, isn't it? So, so all these things that as a newcomer um, to the school and a newcomer to Wanaka and a newcomer to New Zealand, um, there's a real feeling of affinity with somebody who also has just arrived as well. 
Um, and hopefully I would feel that there is a reciprocal thing that the kids feel comfortable with me speaking about being new or what they're frightened of or how can I help them if I can show them the path towards success, hopefully. I think one of the things that can happen is that if we have an aspect of our identity that we think differs from the people around us, sometimes, I think would say frequently, some of the things we're the most proud of about ourselves mm. attach to that identity. And if we don't relate to those people in a way that encourages that aspect of them, then actually a whole significant section of who they are is not affirmed or reflected mm. in the place they're in. I was thinking about you, Renee, you know, you were head girl and oh, all those nice. things. Like you're, you're, I had a bigger list of accolades when I left school. Yeah, the, your congruence with the environment you were in was reinforced and affirmed by the environment, and I think that's wonderful. Mm. Like, I'm not criticizing you at all for achieving those things because it meant that you are of great value to the people around you and were dedicated to your school and all the things that those things mean. I uh, do though think that there are other people who have substance like that that doesn't uh, read the same way because mm -hmm. it's culturally different mm -hmm. and are making contributions with the same kind of ethos and spirit but that are invisible mm -hmm. because it could mm -hmm. it could just as equally be say religion someone who's very very active in their church and again in the school environment that isn't really visible and therefore not credited as being the kind of contribution that might maybe they would be recognized for if they were contributing to sport in that yes. way you know what I mean outside of school mm. and so I think one of the things that I'd like to try and get us to do more of is pay more attention to the differences mm. in each mm. other mm. school cultures certainly our school and I'm sure it's true of others as well picks things to value mm. didn't they yeah and we, we would Definitely. probably all be in agreement about what that might be at ours but you know and that that's a goal, isn't it, to expand the valuing of different dimensions mm. and different identities of our students and our staff and our parents. In any culture or environment, we often do make conscious decisions about what we choose to mm -hmm. affirm, and it would be good if we were to broaden our range of things that mm. we credit or recognize in the students at our school, and I think it will be a benefit to them. And sometimes those choices are unconscious or they're so ingrained yeah. in a culture that we don't even recognize that they may have been a choice 20 years ago. So, and there have been reasons for that choice 20 years ago. So it's good to constantly be asking ourselves to, to be intentional about those choices. It is absolutely true. It may not, these may not even be choices that people who are present mm -hmm. made. Mm -hmm. And also, if they are, they're being made because a lot of us would have grown up in school environments that were a lot more monocultural at least in the way they behaved if not actually in terms of the cultures of the people present and so often we don't have any basis for experience absolutely it's so yes. nice that we're back together we've actually we've all we've all gone to kathy's office in town <laughs> and it's it's kind the of big city yeah we've come into the big smoke and it's kind of nice because we're not at school and to be sort of free of the pressure of the people looking in the windows and that possible but, interruptions at any moment yeah. <laughs> well i will have to tell you however that the bell just rang at school so i think you guys better go okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to pick up where we left where we are leaving off next time idea. perfect thank See you. you later bye, bye. This was an episode of See Me After Class with Renee and Chris. My Twitter handle is at edutronic underscore net. 
And mine is at Renee Plunkett too. See you next week. <laughs>